0: Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and each week I'll be speaking to some of the finest minds in tech and product, hearing a little bit about their stories, finding out what makes them tick, and hopefully learning a thing or two along the way. On tonight's episode, Christie's Picks, we ask some important questions. What is a credit card product manager? What's it like working for product in a bank? Why is relationship building so important these days? Why do I mention salmon burgers in the intro and then never come back to it again? For answers to most of these questions and more, please join me on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Christy Ollinger, a credit card product manager, virtual workshop facilitator, podcast host on the opposite of small talk, and a passionate anti-salmon burger campaigner. How are you doing, Christy?
1: I'm doing amazing. I can't wait for this conversation.
0: <laughs> uh, we'll come back to the salmon burgers if we have time, but um, I wanted to dig a bit into your work background to start with. So first things first, what, what is a credit card product manager and, and how do you feel your day?
1: Oh gosh, I mean, the more that I learn about different types of product managers, I'm, I'm gonna say that we are God, the stewards of our product. So very similar to a tech product manager or any other product manager, I think what makes credit card a little bit different is it's tougher for us to be agile. So we, you know, we've got regulators, it's a financial product. So that puts us in a spot where we can't always respond quite as quickly as some of you tech guys. Uh, So uh, so I'm the the steward of the product. My job is to make sure that our customers have have our card as their top of wallet choice. And that's what I do uh, day in and day out
0: yeah so that's interesting i mean i've worked with banks before in previous jobs not directly for a bank but but definitely with banks kind of doing research for banks and stuff like that and i think what you said about the regulation just really chimes because i I can imagine that it it must be really tough i mean are there any kind of examples of things that you just could never do compared to say a tech product manager
1: i mean i know about never do. It's just, there's just such a scrutiny in the industry and it's for the right reasons, right? But it, it just seems that you have to be that much further ahead in your thinking because by the time you have an idea and then get it through all the governance to execute, Uh, There's just you can't do it as quickly as uh, as you'd like ever, Uh, but it doesn't mean you can't be innovative. It just means you have to be multiple steps ahead of the curve. And I think we've had a a couple good examples of being able to do that uh, in in my career at least.
0: (laughs) So you were at Bank of America for quite a long time, yeah, Uh, nearly 15 years by my count. Um, Now my last job before my current job was almost 19 years, so. Uh, Again, very long time of a large company, a different type of company. Mine was more of a a market research firm, but but still a very long time. And I guess the question that I get asked a lot and the question I'm going to ask you now is, how did you manage to stick it out for, for, for nearly 15 years?
1: Well, so it's actually technically nineteen years. So I work uh, at a company called MBNA. It's
0: not a competition, Christine. It's not a competition. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I say because I was just shy of twenty, which is hard to do. Uh, no, <laughs> I loved my experience at Bank of America. I mean, just great culture, like really strong bank, I really liked the strategic direction. So very customer centric. um, And I loved the people that I worked for. Um, I think I'm built I think I've got like corporate blood in my veins. Like I'm not like a rail against the rules kind of (laughs) my pants kind of person. So I think I'm well suited for that corporate life. Uh, So that's probably how I stuck it out. Uh, You know, met some really great people did some really awesome things. Uh, and it was, uh, it was a good time.
0: Was Bank of America quite an innovative firm or, uh, was it kind of the, the type of firm that had a lot of really long running products that, that you just had to keep maintaining?
1: Oh gosh. I mean, I, I'd have to say that the thing that attracted me to my current role is the innovation. So I was managing a product, um, and and processes that had existed for a long time, and much of what I did while I was there was kind of tweaking those things slightly to get a small amount of benefit, uh, which when you multiply by the number of customers was a lot of benefit. Um, but I I came over to my uh, current role at Citizens Bank really because it was an opportunity to to build a, and be more innovative. Um, really my my only sort of compare i have this comparison point now um that tells me that uh really uh the, the bank I'm with now is definitely more on the side of innovation.
0: Yeah and Citizens Bank I, I looked it up. It's obviously a smaller bank by, by far than Bank of America, but obviously that's a smaller bank it, or that's smaller in banking terms and that still leaves the bank with billions of dollars worth of assets. So it's it's in no way like a small Sort of startup in 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 a way that lots of tech companies would, would would start out. I guess the question for me is, what does innovation look like in a bank, and how how do you, for example, go out and talk to customers? I mean, obviously, everyone has to talk to customers, and and there are lots of things that I would assume that any tech company would do. But but do you kind of? go out and do lots of user research and sort of A-B testing with people and and kind of tracking metrics uh, like that? Or is there a very different approach for sort of banking and and credit cards?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the difference with large companies and banks is you don't have as much direct interaction with customers. So I... I very jealous when I uh, hear product managers of, of smaller companies and you know tech companies talk about doing one-on-one customer interviews all the time. We, we do one-on-one interviews, but we're doing that through a research firm, right? So uh, I'm yeah. not necessarily doing the interviewing, although I have been on the other side of the two-sided glass on several <laughs> focus groups, and that is just the most fun thing ever. Um, so certainly have a hand in you know, what are the questions we wanna ask, what are we hearing, and, and all of those kinds of things. But it's just not as direct as you would want it to be. The other thing with the bank that you do have access to, which is amazing, is a field of colleagues that are working in your branches. So they're interacting with customers every day. And so on a more anecdotal level, Having conversations um, with colleagues about what they're hearing from customers becomes really helpful as well.
0: Right. So, using the proxies that you can to, to to get the information that you can, and 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 then using that to inform your your product decisions. So, have you ever considered going into kind of? tech product management at all, sort of working more with software and, and maybe working for like a really small kind of lean company? Or does that not really appeal to you? I know you said earlier, for example, that you're you're quite keen on the kind of big corporate life. Yeah. Have you ever considered sort of dabbling?
1: Well, I mean, I think even more than the, the corporate life, I like credit card. I think it's just <laughs> fascinating. Customer behavior product, right? right? It's fascinating to understand why people choose one credit card over the next. Um, We've got lots of folks who don't even use credit cards, and how do you convert them? Like, I I just think, I don't know, it's just, it's a really dynamic and interesting product with a lot of different levers. So it's held my attention for my entire career. Uh, So I can't imagine a transition like that. I, I, could and i would it's just not really on my radar because i'm enjoying what i do
0: well yeah and you have also got lots of other kind of effectively side hustles that you do as well which we'll talk about which i guess also just sort of builds out the whole picture and maybe you know, without putting words in your mouth maybe you kind of satisfied some of the needs that you, you might get from sort of working for like a small urgent startup or, or yeah. something like that
1: yeah that's absolutely right i think everybody should have a side hustle
0: <laughs> yeah well i i've tried a couple um and um obviously this being one of them uh, uh the other one being so far un- unsuccessful but it's it's yeah I, I definitely agree that just having anything to kind of sink your teeth into and and just kind of round out your your, your day-to-day life is is, is definitely interesting and, and definitely something that i'd be uh trying to push for as i as i get older which keeps happening <laughs> so one of the one of these so one of these side hustles is uh, facilitating virtual workshops and and talking about communication uh, and sort of related kind of business topics. I mean, how's that going? And 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 how much of your time does that take up?
1: Yeah. So here's the thing: when I first started as a product manager, I really struggled with how to tell the story of my ideas. Like it's just really complex, right? You've got customer input you've got analytics you've got the market you've got the interests of the other stakeholders there's just a lot that needs to go into anything that you're communicating to try to get buy in and so i i actually i found it really challenging in a good way like it was it was interesting and difficult but what i found is that i'm not the only one that struggled with this and it is like Nobody really teaches you how to do it. You learn it by watching other people. Like I don't know why they call them soft skills. It's the hardest thing that we do at work, right? <laughs> so um, I've always been interested in communication and public speaking for more than a decade. I've taught workshops and mentored folks on the topic um, because it's just I don't know. It's just how I where I gravitate to um but more recently i'm very focused on trying to help product managers because i feel like there's a little bit of a gap right where you know you've got entry level stuff that might tell you how to put together a powerpoint presentation or if you're an executive you might have a communications coach that's going to help you figure out how to position it to the board but if you're just like me you don't really have anyone that's showing you how to create a story around your work, so um, that's really what i've been focused on and i've uh, I've really been enjoying it uh, so i I do these workshops kind of inside other companies, but I am in the process of launching a direct to consumer course so that people don't have to wait for their companies to bring me in
0: One of the things that I think is is really kind of really chimes with me in that is this whole kind of concept that there's a kind of a need for, kind of almost continual mentoring throughout a career, and it's not just about, yeah, yeah. You, you start, you get your tools, yeah, you, you get your weeks worth of training, and then you go. It's like yeah. there's so many points in a career which just, it's the, it's the, I mean, it's not quite the same as the Peter Principle because you're assuming that not everyone's kind of inept, but the basic point is that wherever you get to in your career you you're probably getting to a point where you haven't done it yet and um i think that there's this this fallacy that 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 once you get to a certain point yeah that 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 person could just work it out and i think that anything that 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 you know people like yourself can do to actually try and help support people as they do move up the ladder is a, is a really um a really vital service because the alternative is just try to work it out and and that's that's no good for anyone because people aren't necessarily going to work it out on their own.
1: Right. Well, to add on to that, not only are you expected to work it out because of your level, your boss <laughs> has too much on their plate for them to help you work it out, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's where it, it does feel like you need, yeah, mentors or other kinds of skills training that can help with those advanced communication skills.
0: But also they're trying to work it out probably as well because it's this, again, this fallacy that that, that further up the pyramid that you go that everyone's just okay, yeah. and i'm sure many people are okay don't get me wrong and i'm sure that that many of these these people's problems pale in comparison to other people's really real problems but at the same time it doesn't make it any easier day to day so again yeah this whole kind of i don't know i don't know if it's like there's the i don't know what it's like over over in the us but like the, this whole kind of like closed off you know you can't admit weakness you can't admit that you don't know how to do anything because you know, otherwise that's seen as, as a as a black mark against you or something like that. And 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 that feels like a, a, a thing that, that really should change.
1: Well so, and you yeah. know what's crazy is I so I am always that person that speaks up in a meeting when I don't know what the acronym is. <laughs> <laughs> is that nobody knows what the acronym is, but nobody's saying anything because they think they're supposed to know. So like, I have no problem saying, "I like, what does that mean? Because otherwise we're all sitting around just not knowing what the answer is. (laughs) That's not very effective or productive either. So I've never had a hard time throwing myself under the bus for not knowing things. (laughs) Uh, And I think think that should be uh, something that everybody's comfortable with. But I agree. It's a thing over here too.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it should be okay not to know things because nice. you know everyone doesn't know something before they know it, and just because you didn't read a book or go to a particular meeting or you know, do a particular thing on your course, it, one of the things that I again really chimes with me, and I think I've heard you mention as well, is kind of like about the growth mindset as well, and how it shouldn't be a problem to to not know something. It's it's a it's more of a problem if you just, you know just stop still it's like not knowing something is a, is a a way of learning about that thing it's not like a massive failure you've you've not ruined anything by not knowing that you've just giving yourself and potentially your colleagues an opportunity to uh, to know something that they didn't know before which i think is we should all be going for that you know just continually trying to learn and and kind of update what we do now
1: 100% and you know like my I think about some of my like personal core values and being a lifelong learner is at the very top of the list and I'm 100% I shouldn't say 100% growth mindset because <laughs> I will never dunk a basketball like that is it <laughs> so I have a fixed mindset about my ability to dunk a basketball but almost any time, <laughs> I'm totally cool with the fact that I'm like in a learning process and expect to be for the rest of my life and I think you're right that the people who aren't willing to raise their hand and say, well, this isn't making sense, um, are the people who think that they should already know the answers. And that's not really how it works.
0: Yeah, there's that whole was it Dunning-Kruger effect where like the, the the less you know about something, the, the more convinced you are that you do know about it. I, I hope that's the mm-hmm. name of the effect. Otherwise, I'll have like to edit that out.
1: i heard that one. I feel like now I need to go uh, research that one. Um, I gotta say i I so I'm only one year in at a new company, and I think I'm finally not allowed to use my newbie card like that was the best <laughs> case, right like oh yeah, you know I haven't worked here for very long um, I'm not really sure that I understand this that's like the easiest way to make sure people are explaining things to you all the time
0: yeah there's there's a certain kind of i guess amount of runway that you get when you land, but yeah there's there, there is a point another thing that i that I've read about the whole point about. Sometimes it's okay for it not to be your responsibility because you've just started, or you know you you, you you didn't get to that bit yet. But eventually, if you if you start a company and if you're the kind of leader of of, of an area or leader of a, a team, eventually it's actually your problem and it's your responsibility. Even if it happened from before you started, I think a lot of people uh, that maybe operate in a fixed mindset or maybe kind of come from companies that have. Uh, Had blame cultures and stuff uh, they're always trying to, to push the responsibility on something else whereas again the kind of for me almost an extension of the growth mindset is well actually you've got to own it it's yours now you fix it or you don't but it's on you now yeah, it, you, you may not have created the conditions that occurred but it's now your job to fix it and if you don't fix it
1: that's on you Wow. So I feel like what you said really just resonated with me. I I told you this wasn't the best Monday I've ever had. (laughs) Something happened. And I think just to not tell the details, but to tell you it was exactly that. It's something that I should have known based on my responsibilities. And I didn't. And I got a little bit blindsided. Um, so I'll have to do a postmortem and see what, what happened and how that happened. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. We need more people that take responsibility no matter what.
0: Yeah. You've got to own it. And we've also spoken before about how passionate you are about kind of promoting networking and relationship building. Um, I don't know if that's just at work or more sort of socially and sort of social networking as well. Um, how has networking helped you in your career?
1: Well, so first of all, I have to say, I now I always call it building relationships because <laughs> in networking, people literally like shrink away and <laughs> they want to run. I think they're envisioning like a ballroom filled with you know people that they don't really want to talk to and won't have any value in in their uh, <laughs> in in helping them to progress. Um, gosh, networking is everything. I you know as a product manager. I feel like we, you know, we're the caretaker of the product. And yet, um, we don't have direct leadership over every person that's going to impact that product. So often we're we're leading through influence. And really, before you can influence someone, you have to understand them and get to know them better. So I, I feel like building relationships, you know, I think sort of the first level is the people that you're, uh, you know, on your team and then on the cross-functional teams that support your product has been the difference maker because when you can position a change that you're looking to make in the language that is meaningful to your stakeholders, it changes the game. All of a sudden, what you're saying makes sense. And I love, there's this word Equifinality which means there's more than one way, there's more than one path to get to the same end. And that's what it's like to be a product manager. There's always more than one way to do something. Your job is to convince people that the way you, the direction and the path that you're recommending is the right path. And when you're able to tie in the things that are important to all the different stakeholders to that story, then that your path becomes the clear winner, um, you know, just by, by virtue of how it's positioned. But for me, it all starts with you can't do that if you don't know your stakeholders. So that's been the primary thing just from a work perspective.
0: And what advice would you have for people uh, and I'll count myself amongst this number, certainly in the past, maybe maybe I'm a little better at it now, but what advice would you give people that maybe aren't very good at that or or don't know what to do or or maybe aren't even particularly motivated to do that?
1: Yes. Okay. So I have a free downloadable guide for how product managers can build relationships. If people go to com forward slash build relationships, I've walked through a three-step guide for doing this. Um, But I'm going to give you the highlights here. You're going to be really strategic about this. this. And this guide takes you through this. You can actually assess where are your blind spots. So it walks you through a little bit of a self-assessment for the different lines of business and how you know strong your relationships and your knowledge is knowledge is in those lines of business, Um, and then you can be more strategic. But my favorite way to do this is and has been forever, even before um, you know the pandemic had us all virtual. My always my preferred method has been virtual coffees. So Mm. literally just scheduling thirty minutes. With people. And no specific agenda, um, really just an open dialogue. The, the whole key is to listen more than you speak. You should be listening 75% of the time, only speaking 25% of the time, and just asking open-ended questions like, tell me about yourself. Uh, what are the, you know, what kinds of initiatives are getting prioritization in your organization right now? Uh, who are the rising stars? What are the the hot topics and pet projects of your leadership team? Like just, a, just open-ended and even just on the personal front. Hey, what did you do this weekend? You know, I think people discount that kind of chit-chat because they feel like it's not work-related. It's not driving towards a goal, but the more you can get to know someone the more you can be empathetic and understand them and really sort of connect and build something together. So for me, I I think, again, back to back to your question, which I'm assuming sort of leaned into, like, if you don't really like it, and maybe you're kind of introverted, and it's not really your thing. I think one on one networking is the best anyway. Um, And most people are willing to have a conversation and talk about themselves. So, um, you know, just just not even just sending it as a planner
0: and saying, hey, just looking to, to catch up. Yeah, that reminds me of a couple of books, actually. Um, one of the books was uh, Radical Candor, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you've probably read. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the importance of kind of getting to know people and then being honest with them. Uh, and, and frankly, also rewinding about 100 years to uh, how to make friends and influence people. By Dale Carnegie.
1: I love that you mentioned that because the guide that I just told you about, the downloadable guide, that book recommendation is in there.
0: Oh, there you go. That book is
1: eighty four years old. It was published eighty four years ago. How crazy! Yeah, is that? Yeah. And it is just so relevant.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I read it, uh, and and it it was one hundred percent relevant and and kind of interesting. All this thing about like the sm- the the I can't remember the exact quote, but something along the lines of like the the, the sweetest the sweetest word in, in the English language is you or something like that. And people love like people taking an interest in them. I do kind of, <laughs> I do kind of in a way sort of read that book in, in a kind of 1930s film, like high pitched, really fast kind of fast talking accent, like a detective or whatever. Cause it just feels like it's just written from that time. Um, and some of the examples are kind of, kind of a bit funky for for today's yeah, day and age. But I think that the core message is, is is really sort of valid and important. And I know that he's got other books as well, which I'm looking forward to, to going through as well.
1: I mean, you aren't kidding. Like, talk about someone bringing ideas to life through storytelling. But when you're telling stories from 84 years ago, <laughs>
0: the...
1: the- Misogyny, and uh, I have to ignore all the gender stereotypes <laughs> that are in there. And yes, examples around—I don't know—horses, and I don't know whatever else. Um, but yeah, great book. Uh,
0: yeah, no, it, it gen- genuinely was. So you're also involved in podcasting, just like me, but but been doing it for a little bit longer and a little bit more polished, and uh, different type of show as well, uh, called the opposite of small talk. Uh, so I've had a listen to, to the first episode of that and it's, it's really good and, and I found it really insightful. Um, I think one of the things that, that really chimed with me on the first episode was about how lots of ideas aren't themselves original, but it can be original to you and, and that the way that you effectively tell it can be original as well. And, and actually that was one of the reasons why I started you know, thinking maybe it's a good idea to potentially do a podcast or to write some medium articles because end of the day, I can write about things that probably a dozen other people have written about and I can speak about things that a dozen other people have spoken about but if I can just find a different angle on it even slightly that 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 makes it original for someone else and maybe helps them. But how did you get into podcasting in the first place?
1: Gosh, that's a good question. So, I my brother's been podcasting for years and years and years. Uh, He's in the um, financial advisory space. He does consulting work there. So it had been on my, and I, and I love podcasts. I mean, I've been listening to podcasts long enough that I used to have to download them to my iPod nano or some ridiculous version of that. So I can remember, you know, so we're talking early two thousands there. Um, So I've always been a podcast listener. And then last year, I really, I felt this need to own something of my own, even though I was managing, you know, a product. And in theory, I own that, but you never have 100% creative control over your product when it's part of a company, right? Um, So I, I was feeling just sort of this need to own something. And a good friend of mine and I, we have that similar growth mindset. And we found that whenever we got together, we were always talking about, you know, what podcasts are you listening to? What books are you reading? And, you know, all of those kinds of things. And honestly, it was just a random text one day. I said, Hey, and, uh, and so I have a co-host and, uh, and we love it. And similar to you, I mean, the topics that we cover are all self-development, whether they're business development or personal development and they're, and they're not, topics that we like, we're not out there doing unique research or anything anything like that, Um, but it's our interpretation and our experiences of, you know, whatever the topic is. And it's been amazing. And it's opened me up to the idea of networking outside of my company. Prior to a year ago, I'd never spent any time networking with people that weren't in my company. And boy, did I miss out. I like, I would say I should, I definitely should have been doing that sooner because I've gotten, I've met a million interesting people such as yourself, but also just, you know, like I, I feel like it seems time consuming, but I think I have like this abundance mindset, right? Where somehow you- things feed off of each other and snowball and all of the things end up interconnecting and benefiting all of the things that you're working on. So it's been a wild ride for sure.
0: And uh, yeah, again, I obviously agree because, you know, I think that we've we've spoken about this before and it, 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 we kind of, I think, share some of the, the same you know, broad feelings about stuff like this. But again, it is a different type of show. I mean it's the two of you well, certainly the episodes I've listened to so far, like the two of you talking about a variety of topics that interest you, as you say, and kind of come at different angles. Is it something that you really plan minutely up front? Do you kind of pick your topics and agree it all in advance and, and then kind of execute a plan, or do you kind of just pick a vague theme and, and effectively wing it?
1: So <laughs> we're we are very different people. We complement each other. I'm a planner. So I'm I'm not gonna wing anything. So we do we have an out. We have a pipeline of potential topics and potential guests, and we do an outline for each episode. But it was really important to us that it not feel scripted. So the only thing that we script is the introduction of the guest to make sure that we're including whatever they'd like us to promote or those kinds of things. Um, But then outside of that, we try to make it very interactive and almost like a discussion, kind of like if we're out having a glass of wine together uh, with with this guest, it, because it, I just, it, it just seems like the conversation is so much better that way when you can kind of take it wherever you want it to go, like we're doing here versus having like a very specific set of questions that then feels a little bit on so that's our, that's our approach. It's been working for us so far, but it is weird when you have three people, cause then it's a little bit of a like, <laughs> so, but it seems to work out pretty well.
0: And I guess the critical question there as well is whether you actually do pour a glass of wine before you start to kind of get yourself into the mood or, or whether you're a, whether it's a completely dry podcast.
1: Well, I, that's, I definitely have in the past, I'm much more likely to have a pint of Ben and Jerry's American (laughs) ice cream. I don't know if you know about that, but American dream is like the best ice cream.
0: Yeah. I don't think we get that over here. We've probably got some kind of Brexit version instead, but you know, (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's that's probably right. It's good one.
0: Uh, Bulldog noses in in it and stuff like that. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Um, so one thing that we kind of caught up in advance of this call was you you had a a job at a Blockbuster video and you mentioned that you used to have a, a shelf called Christie's picks. Now what what was Christie's picks shelf and and what was it doing at Blockbuster?
1: Well so the, were there are there Blockbusters in were
0: there? yeah well not anymore but yeah. um we yeah we we, we used to have a, a bunch of blockbusters i used to i used to remember going as a kid up to the 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 up to town and, and going and getting the films and putting it back in the letterbox and all that stuff so yeah we 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 had them
1: okay so i i uh so i still have my name badge which cracked <laughs> me, i think saved uh for prosperity um so I, Christie's picks, I decided I was going to pick one movie from each genre. So I wasn't going to have like all the same type of movie. I was going to pick a horror movie, a drama, a suspense, a romance, whatever. So I'm going to share with you what I think was my best pick. And what was my worst pick? And this is really going to date me, but you know, I guess it is what it is. Everybody knows how old everybody is with social media. Um, so my best pick, and you couldn't pick the new releases. So this was 98, I'm going to guess, 97 or 98. Um, But the, first, the best pick was old enough that I could pick it, and it was Shawshank Redemption. Great film. Great film. Um, my most embarrassing pick was my romantic comedy, which was Can't Buy Me Love, which I stand behind as my romantic <laughs> comedy pick. I don't know if you've seen that one. It was a Patrick Dempsey. Uh, it was a pretty terrible movie, but I stand behind it anyway. It's classic. Uh,
0: I, I'm, I'm already coming up in, in hives thinking about the IMDB rating, to be honest, but I'll... I'll... <laughs> I'll look it up. Maybe it'll be one for a rainy Sunday afternoon or something like that.
1: It's terrible. I'm sure it does not hold up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I understand also that you're not allowed to donate blood because you you may have had mad cow disease that, or you just think that you had mad cow disease.
1: That, that's what I'm told. Yeah, the, the uh, Red Cross won't let me donate blood. Uh, they ask a question about whether or not you've lived overseas in
0: uh-huh.
1: Europe in the 80s. Um, so I guess Mad Cow was a problem then. Um, so because I lived in London for five years growing up and we traveled a lot in Europe in the late 80s or mid to late 80s, uh, they won't let me donate, which is a shame because I don't mind needles. I would definitely donate blood or platelets or whatever um, <laughs> but I it's very possible that I could have mad cow disease
0: apparently I think you probably would have you probably would have known by now but
1: yeah
0: it's funny because i I can donate blood but um when I did donate blood once I I found out that I was AB positive which is uh, known as the universal receiver so I can accept anyone's blood uh-huh. but the only pe- the only people that can accept my blood are people that have my blood type so my blood will kill anyone else that doesn't have my blood type, but those people can equally receive anyone else's blood. So I'm like the most, my, my, or certainly my circulatory system is the most selfish,
1: right.
0: self-centered blood system that, that you can think of.
1: You are useless. To- I, yeah.
0: It's you're not the first time I've heard it either. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you weren't doing this, what you're doing now, if you weren't a credit card product manager, uh, as a day job, at least, what what would you be doing as a day job? Do you think?
1: Oh gosh, I mean, I maybe maybe something in advertising. I I don't know about you, but whenever I see the creative come back for any of our marketing campaigns, I would feel like I should copyright them. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always trying to make changes, so maybe I would go do that so that I could have control over the creative copy.
0: There you go. You can you can live the Mad Men dream. Yeah. Or- I
1: would love that. Only if I get to have a fully stocked bar in my office.
0: Well, exactly. I think, again, that's something that we should all aspire to. (laughs) And uh, one book recommendation for our listeners, I know that you read a lot of books and uh, you've obviously been talking about a lot of books on your show. Um, What's like a a top pick from recent past that you would
1: So if you had asked me this before we had the conversation about how to win friends and influence people, that's what I would have directed you to Uh, Mm -hmm. since we already talked about that book, here's actually what I'm going to suggest. There's a, and you actually don't even have to read the book. Um, It's called the four tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. And it's a personality framework that relates to what motivates people um in terms of expectations. So are you internally motivated or externally motivated? Um, and it helped me tremendously to understand some of the people that I work around. So here's here's sort of what it is at a really high level. So if you're an upholder, that means that you respond equally to an external expectation, like a work deadline or an internal expectation like a New Year's resolution. If you're an obliger, you can't keep a New Year's resolution. But if there's an external expectation, you'll meet it every time. <laughs> if you're a questioner, you only meet expectations if you understand and believe in them. So you ask a lot of questions, right? Like you can't, you can't do something just because someone says to do it. You have to know why. So you can meet any expectation if you believe. It. Or you could be a rebel and rebels can't meet either. Um, I can achieve stuff. I don't really understand how rebels work. It's apparently a very small percentage of the population. Um, but this helped me tremendously because I had some questioners in my life and they were driving me nuts. Like they were making me really angry because whenever we would talk about things, they would never just do what we were we needed to do. They would always ask me a million questions. And I took it as like personal, like they were, um, you know, Uh, combating the idea and, you know, didn't want to do it, but it was more just like they needed to understand the why. Some people really need to understand the why in detail. Other people just need to know what the deadline is and they're going to go get it done. And it doesn't really matter to them what the why is. So anyway, so the book is called The Four Tendencies, but you can actually just go to GretchenRubin.com forward slash quiz, and you can see what your tendency is. And then you can start to just read a little bit and figure out who the people around you are.
0: Well, also, uh, so by the way, that was a fantastic summary, but also I get the feeling that you've got almost done a Blinkist on that, on that book now, and, and we've, we've kind of already read it, yeah. which is good. So. Funny
1: it Actually, it, it, she came up with it. She has a book called Better Than Before, which is a book about habits, which is also an excellent book. And so there's a little bit of it in there. And then I think when she got a hold of, oh, this is like a framework, and then she did the quiz and the other book, and you know, it's pretty good. It's pretty helpful.
0: Cool. I'll check it out. Final question. Inspirational quote. Favorite inspirational quote for our listeners?
1: Yeah. So I'm a big Zig Ziglar fan. And one of his quotes is, you can get everything in life that you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And I truly believe that. And it's not transactional in that way. It goes back to networking and relationship building. It's more like the when, when you give of yourself, Um, to others, it always sort of circles back to you. Uh, It's not one on one, it's not transactional, you just put good things out in the world, and then somehow good things come back. So uh, you can get everything in life that you want, if you will just help enough other people get what they want.
0: Excellent. That's definitely something we should all live by. And um, I also need to think about my favorite quote but I obviously I, I can save that for someone else's podcast in case they doorstep me with that question <laughs>
1: right I pulled that one right out there
0: you did uh, it's, it's, uh, you did say you were a planner though so I'm um, assuming uh, so there
1: I could have pulled out a couple <laughs> different ones for
0: you <laughs> well it's been a great uh, chat where can people uh, get hold of you obviously you've got the podcast and is there anywhere else that they can kind of hit you up after this for yeah. more of a chat or
1: yeah, so the the podcast is on um, all the the you know major platforms, the opposite of Small Talk, uh, as well as Facebook and Instagram, the opposite of Small Talk, and then uh, me, I'm at christyallinger.com, so you can find me there and LinkedIn. I, I mean I'm all over the place, man.
0: <laughs> I will uh, I'll ensure that the uh, full breadth of your uh, coverage is is put into the the notes of the show so people can come and bother you and and find out some of the other interesting things that you've got to say well that's been a fantastic chat Christy thanks very much for for taking the time and uh, hopefully we can keep in touch
1: thanks Jason it was my pleasure
0: thanks for listening as ever it's my pleasure to have your attention if you'd like to come onto the show to talk about your experiences please feel free to pop to the website onenightinproduct.com click the link leave your details and we'll be in touch. Otherwise, of course, I'd appreciate it if you shared, followed or liked this podcast on the app of your choice. Tell your friends about me and please come back for more on One Night in Product.